Well, we've had quite the week here in the United States with the Boston Marathon bombings and the capture of the two terrorists, Middle Eastern terrorists. Philemon Gill was here. Some of you know him and visited with him week this week, and he's from the Washington, D.C. area, and he was telling me that Homeland Security has three groups that are on the top of their watch list. A lot of you people fit that group, and I'm serious. Bible-believing conservatives fit the group that they watch. Homeschoolers, <laughs> they, they watch you guys. <laughs> and the other is veterans. They watch the veterans, the ones that have fought for this country. And that just amazed me. So we all got tagged on that one pretty good. So, hey, I'm watching you too. So, hey. <laughs> but anyway, this morning we're in Genesis chapter 23. We'll be talking about the death of Sarah. Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 22, we read of God's pleasure with Abraham. Abraham was pleasing to God through his obedience. And God is so pleased with Abraham and Isaac, for that matter, because of their obedience, that God will now bless them and multiply them more. God has already blessed Abraham and Isaac, but now he's going to bless them more because already Abraham and Isaac are spoken of as being blessed. Um, Phicol and Abimelech have noted that Abraham is blessed. We can see that God has blessed you. And... People notice when God's blessings rest upon you. But Abraham, in his obedience, has not withheld his only son, Isaac. And what a beautiful example of obedience we see there in Abraham. Abraham in the Old Testament happens to be a type of God the Father. And we know that God the Father did not withhold his only begotten son, Jesus, our Lord. So God, way back, set the standard of love by offering his own son as a sacrifice for our sin. No greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friends. I'm totally convinced that God's love for man goes way beyond our capacity or our ability to comprehend. I think the most any of us can do regarding God's love is simply to respond to his love. That's the most we can do. And... Unfortunately, most of mankind, in the hardness of their hearts, in the hardness of their sinful hearts, you might say, they reject God's love. 
They reject the only begotten Son of God. They reject Jesus. And more and more, we're beginning to see that here in what we call Christian America. I was uh, astounded at a little article I read, read this past week that at Florida Atlantic University, a professor gave out an assignment to his class, and that assignment was to write the name Jesus on a piece of paper, then throw that piece of paper on the ground and stomp on it. One student in his class refused to do this. He was suspended from school for refusing to do this. This got the attention of their governor, Rick Scott, who happens to be a decent man. And the governor, Rick Scott, is looking into this matter to make sure it never happens again. But here we have, in America, those who totally and completely reject Jesus Christ. And everything seems to be happening so rapidly in America for it is the turn of America. We're turning away from being a godly nation, a Christian nation, into a secular nation. And thus, we have Christians on the top of the Homeland Security watch list. And if you're a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, you are not the norm of our country right now. But let's go back to Abraham. God has tested Abraham, and he found Abraham willing to obey, willing to obey regardless of the pain that that obedience will cause him. And God is well pleased with Abraham because of this willingness, and he blesses him, and he blesses him by making him even more rich than he already was. He blesses him with great riches, and he multiplies, or he's about to multiply, Abraham's descendants through Isaac. And it's amazing that today in the Middle East, you have the Muslims and you have the Jews who hold Abraham in the highest regard, and they call him Father Abraham. And that happened to be 4,000 years ago that Abraham offered his son as a sacrifice. But our God is a God of blessings, and he knows how to bless us, his people, and he knows how to multiply us when he's pleased with us, and in chapter 22, in verses 20 through 24, there's five verses there, and we won't go through those five, but in those five verses, we just read about Nahor, who is Abraham's brother, and his wives and his children. So you have five verses that kind of cover Abraham's brother. But let's read chapter 23, Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. 
Then Abraham stood up before his dead, and he spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of the burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at full price as property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you, bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which were in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. And so we have here really the the burial of Sarah. And scripture goes into detail about this. Scripture has been silent regarding how Sarah reacted to God's command to Abraham to offer Isaac, their only son, as a sacrifice. We don't read anything about how this affected Sarah. Did Sarah try to stop Abraham? And because of the silence there, many preachers or teachers, uh, they take Scripture's silence on this uh, episode, or and they poke fun at the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And they talk about how Abraham got up early in the morning and left before Sarah could stop him, and that kind of thing. 
we would be wrong to have that kind of an opinion. It would be a mistake on our part to assume for a moment that Sarah was ignorant of what God was doing in her family. Sarah happened to be the one who was in line with God's will concerning Hagar and Ishmael and putting them out of the family. It was Hagar that told Abraham to put them out, and God said, listen to, listen to Sarah, Abraham. Listen to your wife. Sarah's silence has to be interpreted as being in agreement with Abraham to offer Isaac. And now we read of the death and the burial of Sarah. And there are several things that we should notice as we read this passage. And that's the care that Scripture takes in speaking of Sarah's death. Sarah's age is given. She's 127 years old. And that's, that's a good old age. But Sarah has the distinction. She is the only woman in Scripture, in the Bible, that her age is given at her death. Only Sarah. And there's a, a, a multitude of great women mentioned in Scripture, but only Sarah has her age listed. Now, we have great women of the Old Testament. We have the queens of David. We have the queens of Solomon. Then we have Ruth, and we have Deborah, and we have Queen Esther, and all these great women. And then you jump over to the New Testament. And none of the Marys, and my goodness, who can separate all the Marys? There's probably five or six of them. None of their age is ever given upon their death. Or for that matter, not even their funeral arrangements. But of Sarah, there are several passages, several verses in the New Testament that we should look at that honor Sarah. Hebrews 11 is one of those places she is mentioned. And Hebrews 11 happens to be the hall of fame of faith in the New Testament. And we read about Abraham in chapter 11 in verses 8 through 10. It goes on how Abraham is a man of faith and this kind of thing. But then we read verse 11 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. Let me read that for you. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when, when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Good thing to be said of Sarah. By faith, Sarah received strength to give birth to Isaac. And she also, it says that she judged God faithful. She judged God faithful who had promised her a son. This is the Sarah who silently went along with the lies that Abraham, her husband, told about her, the lies that Abraham told to protect himself. 
Abraham told the lies to the kings of that area. And he said, Sarah is my sister. Well, she was, but she was also his wife. And Abraham is lying for his own protection. And these lies that Abraham foisted upon these kings for his protection are are obvious. But how about Sarah? What does Sarah go through because of Abraham's lies? Sarah is then subjected to evil kings and their evil ways, and she now must live in their harem. Sarah's whole life is changed. But God watched over Sarah. God protected her because she's a one of one of the women of faith, and it was uh, her faith that allowed her to bear a son and strengthen her to have Isaac. But then we also read of Sarah in First Peter 3, 5 through 6. And Sarah there, she's an example of submission to her husband, Abraham. First Peter 3, 5 through 6. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Sarah, she is proclaimed as a holy woman, trusting in God. And it also says that she is submissive to her husband. Very submissive to the point she calls Abraham Lord. That does not mean for a moment that Sarah was ignorant of the flaws and shortcomings of her husband. We just talked about how she would go into these evil kings, into their harem, in obedience to Abraham for his protection. And yet, she chooses to be submissive to Abraham. And ladies, hear this. It's a godly choice. It's a godly decision that she makes to be submissive to Abraham. Now, most of us men, we want, we desire a submissive wife. But I don't think we men, we husbands, understand how difficult, how hard it is to submit to a husband who is prone to making decisions that are based upon his own benefit, making decisions that benefit him where he doesn't regard his wife or his family. That would be hard to submit to. And Abraham, he has demonstrated to Sarah in their past that his first concern is what? For himself. For when he says, you know, to Sarah, you know, tell him you're my sister, he says, so it will go well with me. <laughs> Sarah, want, Sarah is to... Go along with the lie so Abraham 
will have it easy. But the test, and it is a test for Sarah, is to be submissive to this man who does not always have her betterment, her good fortune, you might say, in the front of his mind. And that makes the beauty of Sarah's submission so great. And that makes the beauty of any godly woman's submission great when they realize their husband is not really watching out for them or the family. It's easy for a woman to submit to a husband who makes wise and prudent decisions. But the real test of any godly woman is will you submit to your husband when his decisions are self-centered or downright foolish? Will you wives submit to that husband when everything in your being cries out, it ain't so? <laughs> this is not a man who is watching out for me. Will you submit to that and then trust God and his word to take care of you? It's a foolish husband who will not take into consideration the concerns and the counsel of his helpmate that God has given him. I urge any husband to take advantage of his wife's insight and her wisdom. God has given that woman to you. Take advantage of her. Use her insight into situations. Many years ago, I had a young man come to me, and he was all concerned with his new bride that would not submit to him. And he goes into great detail and great length to describe her resistance to submitting to him. And I think I totally understood the wife's mindset. And I said something to him I probably should not have said to him. And I simply said to him, I would not submit to you either. And this shocked him. You wouldn't submit? <laughs> uh, Lori and I have been married 28 years. Beautiful marriage. And even though it looks like it, we don't always agree on everything. But I can honestly say to you, I have never said to Lori, submit to me on this issue. Give me a break. That's a tyrant type of thing. We husbands are told to dwell with your wife in understanding. We husbands can make it easy for our wives to submit to us. All you have to do, men, is make Christ-like decisions. That's all you got to do. <laughs> you know, Ephesians 5, our reading that uh, Neil read, we're told, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her. If you do that as a husband, you won't have to tell your wife to go along with you. You won't have to tell her, submit. 
Wives find it very easy to submit to love that is Christ-like. And there's the key, men. If you love your wives like Christ loved the church, your wives will go along with you. But Sarah, even when Abraham is being that self-centered coward that he was at times, she still submitted to him. And wives, you have the assurance of God that if you will obey his word and submit, he'll take care of you. God himself will take care of you. Sarah, she submitted, and she became an example of, you know, to all younger women, as an example of a godly, submissive wife. Now let's look back at her death for a moment. Abraham and Sarah, they're now back in Hebron. They've moved back to Canaan. And Abraham evidently has been away on business or something. And he returns and he mourns and he weeps for Sarah who has died. It appears that Sarah died quickly. It wasn't a lingering sickness or illness. She seemed to have died quickly. And that can be a great blessing. I feel for people who die of a long, drawn-out type of sickness, illness, or even disease. I feel for a person like that, and I feel for their family. But Abraham has been away, and he's come back, and he mourns, and he weeps. For Sarah. Abraham has a desire. He wants to bury Sarah in the land of promise. So Abraham quickly enters into negotiation with the sons of Heth for a plot of ground in the cave of Machpelah. Abraham begins the negotiation and the custom of what we would call haggling in that part of the world. And in verse 15, uh, this is a response. My Lord, and they're talking to Abraham, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. Now, that was probably a very inflated price as the way haggling went back and forth. But Abraham will not enter into the custom of haggling over a piece of ground, over a cave that he wants to bury Sarah in. And I think he does this out of respect for Sarah. I think Abraham will not cheapen the burial of Sarah by haggling in a customary way there. So Abraham quickly weighs out the 400 pieces of silver, and the cave of Machpelah is then deeded over to Abraham. And this cave, this piece of ground, becomes their family burial uh, sepulcher or whatever you want to call it. And we have Isaac and Rebekah. They are buried there. We have Joseph burying Leah there. And Joseph buries, uh, rather Jacob buries Leah there. Joseph buries Jacob, his father, there. And Joseph, down in Egypt, he tells his descendants, take my bones out of Egypt and bury them 
in the promised land, and it's at this uh, cave of Machpelah that Joseph is referring to. This burial cave that Abraham buys for 400 pieces of silver is the only land that is ever mentioned that Abraham owned in the land of promise. The only plot of ground that he ever appears to own is this burial plot. Abraham looked upon himself as a sojourner, not a settler. And next week, we're going to look at Isaac uh, receiving his wife from uh, Eliezer going back to Abraham's people to find him a wife. And Eliezer, being a type of the Holy Spirit, seeking a bride for Isaac, a type of Christ. And that goes on today. The Holy Spirit seeking a bride for Jesus. And that's you and I. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, first of all, we want to thank you for examples like Sarah in the Old Testament. Who was submissive to Abraham, even though Abraham's first concerns were not always for her. And that should encourage all the women to be obedient to you, Lord, for you will watch out. You will take care of them. And Lord, it should encourage us husbands, us men, to be like Christ, giving ourselves to our wives and to our families. Lord, you desire harmony in our homes. You desire love in our homes. And so, Lord, let us look to you and let us live according to your scriptures. Let us trust you. Let us be obedient to you. And let us enjoy your blessings. And we pray and ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.